Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Well, hello there, Revelation Church. Uh, it's Rich here. Um, hope you had a wonderful time in your hubs this morning. Um, we're going to dive straight into our sermon now. Um, so we've been working through a series called Entering the Promised Land, uh, where we're looking at uh, the story of Joshua from the book of Joshua, uh, which is from right at the beginning of your Bibles. Um, and uh, just before we dive into our passage today, I just want to give a brief kind of update, kind of where we're up to um, in the story. Um, so God has led his people out of Egypt uh, about 40 years ago. Um, and for the last 40 years, they've been wandering um, through the desert. And what we see is actually during that time in the desert, God provided uh, food from heaven. He parted the Red Sea. He's gone before them in a pillar of cloud uh, and a pillar of fire. Um, he's given them the Ten Commandments and he's already brought them to the edge of the promised land once before. Um, and here they are again. And uh, they've just crossed over the Jordan um, and they're just about to go in and take the land. They're about to go and defeat uh, the enemies uh, before them that are inhabiting the land um, and take it to uh, claim it as their own, um, as God has promised them um, way back in Genesis. But we'll look at that in a little bit. Um, and so <clears throat> these first few chapters in Joshua have really been by way of preparation. God's been preparing the people of God um, for them to embark on this military campaign. We've seen them spy out the land. Uh, we've seen them cross the Red Sea. We've seen them remember uh, God's faithfulness uh, last week with the stones uh, that were carried out uh, of the River Jordan. Um, and this week, uh, we're going to look at another uh, way by which God begins to prepare his people um, for this military conquest. Um, and so we're going to pick up in uh, Joshua uh, chapter five. The words will come up. Um, on the screen, um, but we're going to read uh, a few verses and um, then we're going to pause um, and then we're going to pick up with uh, a few verses at the end of the chapter. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, please do. Um, but I'm going to jump in at Joshua chapter five, verse one. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt, through all the, though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp, uh, in their places in the camp until they were healed. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the approach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would uh, help us as we unpack uh, this uh, this chapter, these few verses. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us wisdom, um, give us ears to hear all that you uh, would say to us. And that, Jesus, you would uh, speak to us through your word. We believe that as we sit under your word, as we listen to your word, as we submit to your word, Lord, we believe that we are transformed and changed for your glory. Amen. And so at this point, um, everyone in the land before them has caught wind of the Israelites' journey. They've heard how God's led them through the Red Sea um, and how they've even uh, defeated people that have attacked them along the way. Um, although they don't have many resources, um, people that have come up against them, they, they've been able to just crush them. Um, and they've heard, uh, they've probably heard how they've just crossed the Jordan um, and God kind of allowed them to pass through the Jordan. Um, and uh, they may even have heard stories about the spies spying out the land. Um, and what we see is everyone that is inhabiting the land is just terrified terrified because God seems to be making a way. It says their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them. You see, God's clearing a path for the Israelites. And just as he's moved the Red Sea so that they could pass through, just as he's moved the Jordan, he stopped up the water so they could cross through. All of the inhabitants of the land are looking on thinking, well, God's just moving things out of the way and we're going to be next. And to be honest, that's that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. God's just moving obstacles out of the way so that the Israelites um, can come in um, and take the land. So they're right to be terrified. Uh, they're right to be uh, scared. They're right uh, to, to be fearful um, of the Israelites um, as they come. Now, at this point, you might think, well, Israel have got the upper hand. Their enemy are terrified. Um, they're panicking. They're freaking out. Um, surely this is the opportune moment for them to advance to take the upper hand, to capitalise on the military advantage that they've got while their enemy are basically scrabbling around, fearful, let's take the land, let's move forward and let's advance um, and rush in and just kind of capitalise on that opportunity um, and scatter them. Except that's not quite what we see happening um, in verse 2. If we look at verse 2, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Now, I'm not a military expert, but to then inflict pain that later in the passage takes some time to then heal on uh, your army is not a great military tactic just before you're about to go into battle. And so what's going on here? Well, um, Actually, what we've seen is whilst they were traveling through the wilderness, none of the people of Israel that were born on the way were circumcised. And the people that came out of Egypt were circumcised initially. Um, they would have been circumcised when they came up um, out of Egypt. But all of those that were born on the way, none of them uh, would have been circumcised. That's what it says in our passage. And so what's going on with this circumcision? Why is circumcision so significant for God's people? Well, actually, it's significant for two reasons, really. One, because of their history. So where they are in time in terms of the fulfillment of God's promises. 
but also in terms of their geography, where they actually find themselves located, encamped, just that side of the Jordan, um, if you like, just crossed over the border into the promised land. We see in Genesis 17 that God makes promises to a guy called Abraham. Abraham was an ancestor, or if you like, was the father of Israel. Out of Abraham's lineage came the house of Israel, came the people of God. And so we see in Genesis 17, we see a couple of things that God says. Um, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses. So Genesis 17, uh, verse 10, this is what it says. He says a lot more within the passage. You can read that in your own time. But I just want to pick up two on two things that are particularly relevant at this point. Genesis 17, verse 10 says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. That's a command of God. You see, God uh, has made uh, a covenant, a promise, a commitment to Israel. That's essentially what a covenant is. It's making a promise or a binding agreement. And Israel's part in that is to circumcise the men among them. And so here, where none of them have been circumcised along the way, what they're doing is they're actually saying, no, we are we we we, we want to. Uh, we want to engage with this covenant of the Lord. Just as God has made promises and commitment to us, we want to engage and receive those promises and commitments. The second thing that I want to pick out from Genesis 17 is actually a couple of verses before. In verse 8, God says to Abraham, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan. Well, guess where Joshua and the people of Israel are? They've just crossed over the Jordan into the land of Canaan. And so this is this is significant in terms of where the people of God are. And if God is going to fulfill his promise, the people of God need to demonstrate their commitment to that same promise, their trust in the promises of God by responding in the way that God is instructed in verse 10 to circumcise all the men among you. You see, it's interesting because at this point, God doesn't lead them on a military conquest. God has other priorities. We'll get to the conquest, but God is actually looking for their heart. And that's why in Joshua 5, when all of the enemies are terrified and fearful, God uh, speaks to Joshua and Joshua um, says to the people, uh, well, God says to Joshua and then the people do it. Um, God says to Joshua, circumcise all the men, all the men who have come with you, all of those who haven't been circumcised um, along the way. Circumcise them because what it demonstrates is them coming into or if you like receiving these promises, this covenant from God. You see, God prioritizes relationship with us you see God wants his people to be in right relationship with him and this is demonstration of them coming into a right relationship with God in fact what we've seen throughout uh, the last few books in fact from Exodus um, and particularly Leviticus we see God giving laws to his people 
Now, these laws weren't necessarily restrictive. These laws were in order for them to be able to live in right relationship with God. God, God, God says, I'm a holy God. And in order to have relationship with me, then you must obey these laws. You must keep these laws. And then we're, we're in a good place. Then we're in, we're in a place where, where we can commune together. We can have relationship together. And so actually what happens is, um, if we fast forward, we see that actually the people of God can't necessarily keep those laws. Humans keep, they keep turning aside. They keep uh, turning their hearts to other things. They keep wandering, straying um, from these, this, this law that God set out for them to live by. And actually, that's very much the story of our lives. We uh, all have turned aside and, and, and decided to do things in our own strength, in our own way. And actually, we need something that will that will help us come into right relationship with God. You see, it's the disobedience of the people of Israel that broke that relationship. It was the uncircumcision of the Israelites that broke that relationship with God that had to be restored. And so circumcision, in a way, represents that 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 identifying with God's promises. It identifies that right relationship with God um, and it represents that coming under God's law, coming under God's rule. And that's not an oppressive thing. If anything, that's that's an incredibly releasing and freeing thing. But it's the relationship that God places as a priority on the people of God at this time. You see, so where does that leave us then? If we have fractured relationships with God, broken relationships with God, then we need to come to him. And we need to come into right relationship with him. But actually, we can't do that in our own strength. We can't do that by um, because we know that we're frail, that we falter, that we're weak. And that we will turn aside. We're distracted by the desires of our own heart. That's what the Bible says. And you see, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill the law perfectly in the way that we never could. And Jesus came to die on the cross so that by fulfilling the law, he could then trade his life, his perfect life, for what was our punishment, death. The Bible says that the wages of sin, that wrongdoing, that straying from God, that the wages of that sin is death. And Jesus came and traded our death that we deserved for his perfect life. That actually, if we come and put our trust in him, if we come um, and demonstrate our receiving of that promise, then we can come into right relationship with God. In fact, uh, we see in uh, Colossians 2. Uh, da, 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 da. There it is. Whoop. Found it. Uh, we see in Colossians 2, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised through him, through faith, in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. 
that actually by putting our trust in Jesus, Paul, who wrote the book of Colossians, says it's like a circumcision of the heart, not made with hands, but done by God. And by receiving Jesus's uh, gift of life to us, by receiving the promise of new life that Jesus gives to us, we come into right relationship with him. And that's the picture that circumcision is all the way back in Genesis 17. It's a promise or demonstration of God's covenant promise to us and our fulfilling of that. You see, the Bible says that we need to come and put our trust in him. Well, how do we do that? Well, we, 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 we must repent. We must turn away from the things that, uh, that, that, that have caught our attention, the things that have taken priority over God. We must repent and turn away from those things. Put our trust in Jesus. Be baptised into him. And thereby, uh, in, Colossians, in Colossians verse 12, um, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you all were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, circumcision is a physical act with a very real spiritual consequence. That's what we see right back in Genesis 17. That's what we see in Joshua 5 when they circumcised the people. In the same way, baptism is a physical act with a very real spiritual consequence. That actually baptism is an act of faith. And as we're baptized and we go down into the water and as we come up out of the water, we're raised to new life. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. That's incredibly inspiring. That's awe filling. That is that is blow your mind. Amazing. That we get to enter into the promises of God, that we get to come into right relationship with God. And so back to Joshua five, we see here this incredible um, pattern of 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 the people of God being made right, coming back into right relationship with God. And their right relationship precedes or goes before the military conquest, the victories that they win in the promised land. We're going to pick up uh, in, in, in Joshua 5. We're going to jump a couple of verses to uh, verse 13. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And what we see is Joshua comes comes up, uh, they, they move towards Jericho and they see the commander of the army of the Lord. And Joshua says, well, are you for us or against us? Are you going to fight us? Are you, are you going to battle and win for us or battle against us? And actually, what does he say? The commander of the army of the Lord says, no, 
That's the wrong question. The right question is, now I have come. Is this the time? Is this the time for the fulfillment of your promises? And we see this incredible picture that God's promises aren't really in question about whether they will or won't be fulfilled. The question is when. The question is about timing. And the commander of the army of the Lord says, now is the time. Now I have come. And so Joshua falls before him and worships uh, and praises God. And then uh, we can often find ourselves in a similar situation. We can be so eager, so keen to advance the kingdom, to take the land, to see God's victory come, to see his kingdom advance. And all of those are good things. But the question isn't will you or won't you? The question is when? And so the promises that God's spoken over us as a church, the promises that God's spoken over you, as one of his people, as, as the body of Christ. It's not a question of will we or won't we? It's not in doubt. God's made promises. The question is when. And we can get caught up with the immediacy. When we get excited and our hearts leap with faith, we can think of the immediate, we can think of now. But a better, a better question rather than, well, will we do it or won't we do it? A better question is, when will we do it? Is now the time? God, is that what you're saying in this season? I believe you for the promises. I want to step into the fullness of all that you have for me. And so, Lord, we just pray in this season as hubs, uh, as a church. Lord, we just pray that you would give us faith for all that you have ahead of us. And that, Jesus, we would ask the questions when, knowing, God, that you come and you your promises come to pass thank you god that we can put our trust fully in you and jesus reveal the way in jesus name amen